Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Deliciously Ella podcast with me, Matthew Mills, and my wife and business partner, Ella Mills. Hi, everyone. Um, So today's episode is a really special episode for us, actually. Um, You may follow us on other forms of social media, and if you do, you may have seen, but we have recently discovered that we are pregnant, um, which is a kind of completely amazing, mind-blowing, overwhelming kind of sense really that I've never had before and we're beyond excited about it but you quickly learn that there is so much to learn and there's so much you don't know um we were incredibly fortunate and got got pregnant very very quickly and as a result I think hadn't had a minute to do any homework so we thought how's the best way to get started and as soon as I told my mum I was pregnant she was so sweet and it's her first grandchild so she's really excited and she rushed right out and she said all my friends say this is the best book you need this book and she gave us a book and we devoured the book. It was absolutely brilliant. And I thought, well, these are the people we need to be talking to. So today on the podcast, we've got Marina Fogel. And she's been hosting something called The Bump Class, which she founded with her sister, Dr. Kiara Hunt, in 2013. So for the last six years, she has been working with so many different women throughout their pregnancy, but then also finding all the specialists in all the different areas, psychology, breastfeeding, you name it. And so I feel like she's our guru to distill all the information that's out there and she also hosts a podcast the parenthood podcast so basically we're hoping you can shine light on this fascinating (laughs) completely new topic for us and welcome and thank you for coming well thank you for having me and congratulations it's so exciting isn't it It finding out you're pregnant it's crazy do you know what like and and everyone I've told this to kind of looks at me like I'm a bit of a nutter and, and maybe I am and I'm overly in touch with with myself anyway but I was I knew within like 6 days that we were pregnant and I re- I just started to have all these funny things going on and Matt was out that day and he came back and I thought shall I tell him is he just going to think I've lost my mind and I was <laughs> like okay no I think we're pregnant but it was you know I had to wait another 2 weeks or so to take the test and I so I asked my mom and I asked a few people and everyone said, oh, I really don't think you'll know now. I really don't think you'll know now. So it was such anticipation to take the test as well. And then we finally took it and it was, I got up at like four o'clock in the morning to take it because I was <laughs> so excited and curious. And we took it and then I almost didn't believe it. So I took three more on the follow- each day after that. We then went to see the GP and he was like, why did you take three? Because yeah. <laughs> so, I obviously am that nutter that I just described myself as. But it was the most crazy surreal feeling really yeah it's one of these things that you hear lots about lots of our friends have 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 had babies but when you actually find out you genuinely feel a shift within yourself um and a new responsibility absolutely and a new focus as well i think yeah and then you often think because it's quite evil actually that you don't know you're pregnant until you're four weeks pregnant and you think Oh my God! Did I eat something bad? Did I did I drink something bad? Yeah. Did I breathe in too much exhaust fumes, or did I go to a smoky party and yeah. suddenly think, oh, "Have I sort of done something bad to my baby before <laughs> I've even started?" And I think there the guilt begins. Totally. And is there actually any proof that any of those things ha- can have an effect on a baby, or is it? 
They, it's really difficult to know. And I think so often with when it comes to sort of pregnancy and health messages. Not that Ella's been out. I mean, <laughs> not that Ella's been out like boogieing until four o'clock in the morning. But um. It's difficult because I think with health messages around pregnancy, it's unethical to, you know, trial new drugs or old drugs on pregnant women. Of so course. generally, if you look on the back of any packet of even paracetamol, do not take or seek advice from your GP if you're pregnant or breastfeeding. And it says that's pretty much on everything. And medicine is all about weighing up um, risk versus benefit. It. And ultimately, a lot of pregnant women do have to take um, medication that isn't ideal, but the risk to them if they didn't take the medication and treat their symptoms or treat their illness would be greater to the baby than potentially taking the, the medication. So, for example, if you're really sick during your um, early first trimester, if you have really bad morning sickness, hyperemesis, you run the risk of becoming severely dehydrated and malnourished. And in that case, it's better for you and safer for your baby for you to be taking the anti-sickness medication. But if you had a normal pregnancy or feeling a little bit sick, then the risk of taking the medication would be higher. So it's about weighing up that fine balance. Which I had this panic when I suddenly found out and I thought, oh my goodness, okay, you can't have this, you can't have that, or you're not meant to have too much vitamin A. And I was like, have I taken anything with vitamin A or do I have? And I was literally like going through all my cupboards, all my face creams, everything. And it is amazing. You suddenly have this sense of guilt. And then I was also given this book on nutrition. I remember reading it and like, to be totally honest with you, and it's very undelicious but the first you know the first 12 weeks like I I've only eaten beige food I just could not stomach I remember this when I was like I must be pregnant because I saw broccoli and gagged and I was like whoa (laughs) what's going on here and again then I started to feel really guilty and I was like well I either eat let's be honest quite a lot of chips or I don't eat anything and it's much better to be doing that and it's amazing how you start having this guilt being like I need to be doing this I need to be doing that and you it's fascinating. And there is a theory that our bodies will tell us what we need. Yeah. And so, you know, if you have a craving, I mean, women have extraordinary cravings for yeah. things like toothpaste and charcoal when they're pregnant. Really? So chips is probably okay. Yeah, chips but is I, good. I, I was literally doing a, cl- a bump class the other day and this girl said, I have been eating McDonald's the entire pregnancy, but that's all I crave. And I'm so against eating McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> she said, I'm really at odds with this, but that's all I could eat. And yeah. I, I slightly think you have to listen to your body. Our bodies are so much more sophisticated than yeah. we give them credit for and um, we're just understanding starting to understand more and more about our bodies so I think a lot of pregnancy is listening to your own body if you are tired don't think I'm being lightweight I'm not being tough enough I've not got my finger on the ball think my body is telling me I need to sleep if you're feeling like you do want to run then run if you feel that you don't want to exercise at all then don't and I think it's really important to be able to strip back what we're feeling and try and listen to our body and, and trust our gut that's been something that I think though that I think so far we've we've managed to balance well is that Ella's had really, really bad nausea for the last 12 weeks. And for the first eight or nine weeks uh, that Ella's pregnant, we didn't want to tell anyone. We didn't want to tell. So we didn't tell our team. And so Ella's usually the hardest working person. She's just always up for anything in any meeting, any event, anything. And then so for Ella to back off those and be like, oh, I can't do that, but not be able to say why was, was a bit of a challenge. Yeah, but- I found it really hard. And I said to you, you actually got... You were really firm with me about it and I actually really needed someone to say, and I was like, I feel like I'm failing Mm. at the moment. This is around like week 10 because I felt like you have that kind of 
I guess, slight sense of removal from the pregnancy because you haven't had your 12-week scan yet and you're just kind of waiting for those sorts of moments. But at the same time, you'll feel like you're doing your normal life, but I felt like I wasn't doing as well as work. Also, we work in food, so it'd be like, do you want to try this? I was like, no, I can't. I I really can't try it. I was taking lots of time off. I was so exhausted. And then, I don't know, like I would go to my yoga class and, you know, you're doing like 30% of the class and it's really interesting having that conversation with yourself, saying it's okay to slow down. It's okay not to be performing at 100% of where you normally are. You're doing something else that's incredible. And it's almost like we can't give ourselves credit for that. And so I said, I feel like I'm failing at the moment. And you were like, are you joking? Which, thank you. <laughs> but it is interesting how tuning in to your body is actually harder than you would expect it to be. No, but I mean, it's, the, it's literally the opposite of failing and doing the most remarkable thing that you can do. So, it's... And it's so great that you reminded her of that because I think you're right. You, you, 21st century women are used to being amazing and it feels like they need to be given permission to slow down. But if you think about what your body's doing, you're creating a whole new human. And by 12 weeks, your baby is fully formed. Yeah. Um, is it true that it has fingerprints by 12 weeks? Yeah. Yeah, that is it's insane. extraordinary. I mean, tiny weeny, nuts. but your body has done all of that. Because they're about the size of a lemon now, right? Uh, 13 weeks, weeks, it's a lemon. So we're currently weeks. a lemon yeah. when we record this. Yeah. I think next week when this comes out, we'll be a peach and yeah. then we navigate to an orange. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it's not even just the physicality of, you know, we often think of a baby as a sort of doll. It's not, it's a human with a brain, with yeah. the lungs, with a spleen, with, you know, kidneys, all of these incredibly sophisticated organs are being created, not by anyone else, but you. And if you think about the energy that's taken up, I mean, there's definitely, doctors always say, you know, be most careful about what you drink and eat in the first 12 weeks, because that's when all these vital um, changes are taking part in in the, in the baby. Um, after that, you can definitely be a little bit more relaxed. I mean, I'm not saying drink, but at the same time, if you're going to be careful, be careful for those first 12 weeks. And I think that when it comes to looking after yourself, I think it should be okay to take the time to sleep and to rest and not to be on form. And I slightly think, I mean, I was exactly like you with my first pregnancy. I didn't want to tell anyone before 12 weeks. My first pregnancy ended in a miscarriage. And actually, I then told everyone because I felt that, you know, A, if I told them it would tell them a little bit about how I was feeling. I wasn't yeah. like I was being a bad friend or useless yeah. at work. I, I was pregnant. I was feeling pretty ropey and I was not hung over, which I was terrified <laughs> that everyone thought I was going to be the whole time. But also, if you do have to make a difficult decision or if you do have a miscarriage, that's when you need your friends the most. Yeah. And almost at work, I'm not saying, you know, broadcast it to the whole world, but even your work colleagues, just say to them, you know, it's not official yet, but I do want to let you know mm. I'm pregnant because... If I'm not on form, you know why. It's not that I'm not taking yeah. the job seriously anymore. Yeah. But also if I have to take time off for tests or I have to, you know, have to take a few days off because I'm having an emotional time, you understand why. And actually, I think that's that's not a bad sort of sentiment when it comes to sort of that first yeah. trimester. So one question I have is I definitely felt for me the first thing I did was Google. I Googled everything. I'd never been on Mumsnet before. I have spent so long on Mumsnet in the last few months. It's unbelievable. Um, Because there's all these crazy things happening in your body and you're like, is this normal? Is this not normal? Should I be worried about this? Should I not be worried about that? And there is so much information out there. And it's really fascinating. 
And I found it quite intimidating trying to distill it. You've obviously kind of really cut through that by finding experts to talk to and people to work with. How do you go about that process of kind of finding out what to listen to, what's potentially just making you overly nervous, overly cautious, and where to kind of glean your information from? I must say, when I start the bump class and a girl sits down and says, I know nothing, I always think, oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> because I, I, it's so much easier than someone who has done loads and loads of research. And the problem is with the internet is that there is a lot of great information on the internet, but there's a lot of incorrect information. There's a lot of things theory. And what we try and do on the bump class is listen to professionals who are accountable. You know, a lot of people that write stuff on Mumsnet, they'll say something, but you know, there's no accountability. So if they say something that potentially is fatal, well, they're no one. You know, they're just a name behind a facade on, on a forum. So I think but listening also to people... it's quite scary. Like I had when, this is what made me think we were pregnant. So I had implantation bleeding and I've, I never bleed between my cycles. And so I start Googling it and then some people are saying, oh, it's a miscarriage. Other people are saying it's this. Other people are saying it's that. And you suddenly get really scared of something that turned out to be as harmless and actually a really positive sign. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And probably the worst thing in all that was the anxiety you felt, because actually we were beginning to understand so much more about how anxiety and stress, even in the very early stages of pregnancy, can can affect, you know, an unborn baby. So I think just making sure that you're listening to someone that you trust, making sure ideally it's a face. If you publish a book, there are legal requirements behind the evidence of the book. And that person who's written a book is has a sort of public image and, and is accountable. I think also trying to speak to one person. So if it's your midwife Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. it's your GP, rather than, you know, everyone, as soon as you're pregnant, everyone has an opinion on your pregnancy. (laughs) And that's quite exhausting, you know, and and it continues. And when your baby's born, are you going to breastfeed for? And that's too long or that's not long enough or that's, you know, and it's just really overwhelming. So I'd say, you know, stick to one person's advice. Maybe, you know, I, I would really, really advise against Googling stuff. You can find anything you want to find. If you want to sort of find justifications for some crazy theory, you'll be able to find it somewhere on the internet. It's all very well to have a theory, but if it's not backed up by evidence, then it could potentially be sort of damaging. Yeah, Yeah. completely. So in terms of all the experience you've had, all the people you've met, we've had a lot of messages from people who are pregnant at the moment, probably kind of going through the same thing in terms of things to learn, things to know, things to kind of swat up and what are your kind of top tips? I think looking after yourself is really important as yeah. we mentioned before, just that acknowledgement that your body is probably doing the most... Both physically fin- and mentally. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's doing the, the most phenomenal thing any human ever does is to create, I mean, forget Olympic athletes, this is your Olympic so I think, give, you know, listening to your body and maybe tuning into your body a little bit. I was I was doing a podcast with a psychiatrist the other day, and she was saying how we're talking about the first thousand and one days of a baby's life, and we now know that those are the most important days of a child's life, and that basically shapes the adult they become. And interestingly, those thousand days begin at conception. So I think a lot of people think, well, the baby's not a baby; it's a sort of lump in my tummy, and it's getting bigger, and only when it's born does it, you know, start to understand. And and even then, they're sort of blobs that can't really see very much. Mm. And you sort of think, well, they're sort of a bit unresponsive, but that couldn't be further from the truth. Babies are very aware of sound, of noise. You know, we now know talking to your baby and singing to your baby, it might sound a Mm. bit crazy, but actually that is all really, really positive. When a baby is born, they'll recognise your voice because they're used to hearing it. They've done um, studies on people exposed to acute stress and the impact that has on the baby. 
be. And I, I, I totally understand that there are people who are in stressful situations and it's not something they can control, but there is stuff you can do about it. So things like acknowledging when you've got a stressful situation, maybe taking a bit of time out each day to do even five or 10 minutes of mindfulness. And that could be a mindfulness app. That could be your yoga class. It could be coloring or sewing or just sitting down and, and just thinking about your body and trying to connect with your baby. Mm. Honestly, when I think when I first got pregnant, I slightly thought, oh, come on, you know, you just carry on normal life um, and then I'll plop this baby out and, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll be a mother. But actually, the more time I spend around pregnant women and the more I get to know my children and understand a little bit more about how complex we are as humans, but also how powerful we are as parents, I think that's probably the most important thing. Just that connection is, is, is so important. And we talked about it earlier, but the guilt is quite a big thing mm. we have to deal with. I think as soon as you become pregnant, you're racked by the feeling that you're maybe not quite good enough a parent. Did I eat the wrong thing? Did I eat too much? Mm. Did I rest too little? And then when your babies are born, you're sort of constantly wondering whether or not you're a good enough parent. And if you can connect with your child, then that is being the best possible parent there is to be. That's so much more important than sort of anything else. So I think taking the time to acknowledge the magnitude of what your body is doing and to connect with that and to be prepare emotionally is, is is really, really important. And for any other guys listening or another partner in a, in a relationship, what's the best tips you have as a support mechanism for the person who's who's pregnant? I think acknowledging, you know, having that conversation about that permissiveness to slow down. Mm-hmm. I think what you said to Ella was, was just so great. And, you know, we, we do these father's evenings. And one of the first things that we talk about is, you know, by the time she's in her third trimester, life becomes really hard. There's a statistic that by the time you're in your third trimester of pregnancy, with every step you're taking, 100% extra force is exerted on your joints. Okay, that's just wow. physically. You wow. know, you're carting wow. around a huge amount of extra weight. You know, it's up to 20 kilos. Now, if I pick up two 10 kilo weights in the gym, I'm staggering around that gym. Mm-hmm. That's every day, every step that woman is, is you know, carrying wow. that extra weight. And, you know, I'll say to them, listen, bending down, emptying the dishwasher, taking the rubbish out at the end of the day, that's quite a hard task. And if you could just sort of muck in there, um, that makes all the difference. I would say it's way better than jewellery, just having someone sort of practical. And I think... That really, really helps. And and that resting too, you know, often it's the guys that will say to the girls or the partners that will say, come on, it's the weekend, put your feet up. You know, maternity leave is not about seeing all your friends and redecorating the nursery and re-sorting through the clothes. Maternity leave is time to rest up for those last few weeks of pregnancy. We know there's a direct correlation between how big your baby is and how much the mother rests during the final trimester. And you want nice big babies. Big babies feed better. They sleep better. They are healthier. You want nice big babies. And so we know, and you'll probably find that once your bump starts growing, you'll hopefully have the chance to go away, you know, for a week on holiday. And you'll notice that your bump will get really big during that week away. And that's because you're resting. Because you're not racing around London recording podcasts. And (laughs) That's um, so interesting. so, So I think, you know, and often women just need that permission. So being supportive and being that reminder that they're growing a baby and it's okay to take, you know, life easy. And then I think once... Once the baby's born, just jumping in at the deep end. I remember when when Ludo, my eldest, was born, I was in hospital for quite a long time and I wasn't very well. And my husband ended up doing all the nappies. And actually, he loved it. And I think by the time we left hospital 10 days later, he'd done every single nappy. I hadn't (laughs) done one. And it wasn't ideal that I was ill. But at the same time, it gave him the confidence to handle Ludo, to change his nappies, to burp him, to do all those things that he could do. And I think that was the best 
possible start for him and I think determined his relationship as a very hands-on father, which um, is often defined in those first days and weeks of, of your child's life. Yeah, no, I definitely, definitely want to be a really hands-on dad. I want to be deeply involved. I don't want it to feel like it's it's just Ella who's who's doing any of that. And it's something I'm really excited about as well. And it is. It's one of the, like with any relationship, the more you invest in it, the more rewarding it is. And nothing I can say will prepare you for how mind-blowingly amazing it is to be a parent. <laughs> and yes, there are tough times. It's like yeah. the hardest job you'll ever do. Yeah. But my God, it's such a privilege. It's it's such fun. There are these moments when we've been at scans and you just literally want to burst. Like you just cannot quite believe that you just see this little thing. Who's and and at uh, the moment it's a little blurry image. Yeah. Just wait until they yeah. smile at you and they make you laugh. And I'm so excited. I really, really am just over the moon. Yeah, it's unbelievable. I actually have a very important question. Okay, I like which it is, <laughs> Which is, we have a, uh, a young hound here who is... Who's who in is, the studio right who's, now. Who's in the, the studio with us now, who has actually very much been the, the centre point of our life. He's hugely spoiled and indulged. How do you ease pets into, <laughs> into bringing a baby well, this home? This is such a common question. Oh, really? Um, okay, Because good. I think very often couples have their baby. You know, in the form of a dog. He has yeah. been a baby. He's now, he'll be four in April. But I mean, he comes everywhere with us. Like, yeah. he comes to work with us. First thing Very he often. does when he wakes, like, he he does actually sleep outside our room. But he comes in and, like, literally gets into bed. Like Tucks himself like, under the duvet. Yeah, like, he is our child. Like, he is a complete and utter part of our family. And he actually, I think it's one of the reasons we knew Ella was pregnant, is he just started going a bit mad when Ella first got pregnant because I guess he could smell the hormones. He cried. All day. Yeah. <laughs> and he, as Matt said, he sleeps outside a room and he never makes a noise. And that week he cried every night. He'd wake us up at like three o'clock in the morning. He'd just be outside, outside the room crying. So I really He's do think he, I think he knew something was something was happening. So so how, how do we ease him into it? I think, you know, the, the thing to remember is that dogs tend to love having children around and, you know, you're their pack and it's quite normal for them to have additions to the pack. I actually did a really interesting podcast about this with uh, my father-in-law, uh, Bruce Vogel, who's a vet. And uh, I, I wanted to ask him exactly this question. <laughs> and he said, actually, smell's really important. He said one of the best pieces of advice is to bring a dirty nappy, so a, a, a pooey nappy, home from the hospital really? and let them have a really good smell of it. He um, will <laughs> love that. I have to be honest, a bit gross, but Austin will love that. Austin does love to roll in poo and things yeah, like that. He's... And, you know, he'll love having a baby around. There's suddenly lots of people around. Yeah. That, you know, you have lots of time to go for walks. Babies often sleep best when they're on the go, so taking yeah. them for a sort of lunchtime See, sleep. Wagging his tail. He yeah. has. He started wagging his tail, yeah. licking me, saying, yes, Marina. I like the idea of the walks. <laughs> <laughs> There'll be loads of treats. Do you like treats? I mean, yeah, that's treats. the joy. When your baby starts eating solids, they are delight. I was going through all the photos the other day. I saw a picture of Ludo in his high chair eating something and there were five Labradors around him, <laughs> literally all sitting there sort of looking at him expectantly. And I remember when my children were little, they'd be eating a rice cake and they'd chew it a bit and then they'd put it down and the dogs would all have a chew and then they'd put it back <laughs> into their mouth. There is, again, loads of good research that shows that children that grow up in um, households that aren't too perfectly 
relatively clean yeah. that have dogs are at much lower risk of allergies. They, uh, their immune system gets a sort of real boost. So, you know, there are so many benefits. And, you yeah. know, as they get older, growing up with dogs is such a privilege. You know, you, it teaches them responsibility. You know, my son now gets up every morning and feeds our dog. It teaches them about responsibility. You know, you're having to walk your dog, even if it's pouring with rain and you really don't want to go out, you do have to go out. Mm-hmm. I did a really interesting podcast on grief and death. And it's a sort of way of introducing the idea that we're all mortal. And that's quite a difficult thing to introduce to a child. Um, but actually, it's it's a really good lesson sometimes. Yeah. So to care for other things, to have them, you know, dependent on you. I think, you know, there's so many aspects of having not necessarily any dog, but all sorts of pets that give so many learning opportunities to children. So mm. lucky, you're lucky baby growing up in a house with a, with a loving dog. <laughs> So I have to ask one question as well. Is there so many other things out there in terms of like hypnobirthing, water births, you know, all these sorts of different options. What are your kind of experiences with all these things? What What is it that we should be looking for, looking at, exploring? Yeah, well, I think it's really good to start exploring the different ways to give birth. And I don't think there is a right and wrong way to give birth. Really, everyone should just want a safe birth. And yeah. luckily, thanks to modern medicine and hospitals and midwives and qualified doctors, that is very, 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 very likely to happen. Certainly if you compare it to other parts of the world or, you know, even Britain 100, 200 years ago. Um, I think that birth it's a very emotive subject and that's one of the reasons that we started the bump class you know again people are going to tell you how you should give birth I think the key is to have an open mind and what I hope that most people leave the bump class thinking is that I really hope I'm going to have a straightforward birth you know thinking about the fact that this is what we are born to do this is what we've evolved to do giving birth is something our bodies are designed to do it's the most important thing and because we're all built with so much fear of it now I think mm-hmm. it's crazy I think from movies and mm-hmm. the kind of general conversation around it at the moment it, it feels like it's the opposite of that yeah and I think there's, there's so much of it is to do with positivity you know you look at elite athletes and part of their training significant part of their training is the belief that they can win the race yeah. and if you go into labour thinking or into your pregnancy thinking oh, it's going to be awful mm. it was awful for my mother it was awful for my sister I'm, I'm going to end up with an awful birth that's not doing you any favours there's no research to show that if your, your parents have had difficult births uh, or your family have that that's going to be the same for you but if you go into it with a negative frame of mind that's really not going to help you so I think you know go to see your midwife have a chat through you know some people love the idea of of being in water and some people hate it I encourage people to try it because actually you know the NHS has paid a lot of money for these water um, the the birth pools and they wouldn't have done it unless they'd seen firsthand that, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's a really great environment in which to give birth. But I think have an open mind. You know, we, we were often sort of um, encouraged to make a birth plan. And I think people misinterpret this, that you write a plan and that's how it's going to be. Well, you can't plan your birth in the same way that you can't plan your life. You can write yeah. as, as, as detailed a plan and laminate it as much as you like for your life, but it doesn't mean that's going to happen. And it's the same thing with your birth. So I think if you think, I'd really love to give natural birth a go and I'm going to, you know, I'd love to, to, to know a little bit more about hypnosis and I'm going to go and do a course and I'm going to try and get my head around it and I'd love to work? use the water. It Basically, it's about controlling your anxiety. Okay. This so, is hypnobirthing. Yeah, yeah, so using hypnosis to control a lot 
of people say that because we have so much fear of birth and because we have so much fear of pain, you know, we usually associate pain with something negative, that as soon as we feel the pain of contractions, we sort of tense and fight it. The adrenaline levels increase in our body, um, which um, uh, directly um, suppress the oxytocin, which is the kind of love hormone, the sort of hormone that triggers labour. So if you've got high adrenaline levels, your, li- your labour is likely to last a little bit longer and be a little bit more painful. Whereas if you can trick your brain to be like, no, this pain is fantastic. It's what's meant to happen. This is what my body's meant to be doing. Your adrenaline levels go down, which allows the oxytocin to flow all over your body, which allows your labour to kind of progress nicely and quickly and effectively. That's sort of the idea around it. And if you're going to do um, hypnobirthing, how far into the pregnancy do you need to start doing classes? Or, or I think it's worth, you know, potentially getting downloads at this stage, you know, because, you know, hypnosis will encourage you to relax. If you can control your anxiety and your emotions through your mind, through hypnosis, I mean, that's an amazing skill to have, whether mm. or not you use it in labor yeah. or not. So if you spent, you know, half an hour a day or an hour a few times a week, you know, listening to a sort of a, a birth hypnosis, a hypnobirthing download, that is going to do you nothing but good. Even if you end up having to have an emergency cesarean, yeah. I guarantee you won't look back and think, well, what a wasted... Yeah. It's tough to yeah, believe that exactly that there's any downside to it, but yeah. you never know, it might really, really help. So. And yeah, some people absolutely. said that even though they ended I've heard some people saying even though they ended up having to have an emergency C-section or something like that, they went into it a bit calmer. You know, when the contractions first started, they didn't have that deep sense of rooted fear. That that's what they were able to control. So it still made the process as a whole more enjoyable. So I think we'll definitely... And if it can take you through for an hour, or even if you end up knowing that you've got to have an elective cesarean because of whatever reason, you know, actually lying in an operating theatre and having major abdominal surgery while you're awake and knowing it's kind of the happiest day of your life is a bit weird too. (laughs) And a lot of people lying there thinking, I'm a bit scared. Well, you can use your hypnosis then. And quite frankly, then when you're driving along in the car and your baby's screaming in the back seat, but you're on the motorway so you can't stop, your anxiety levels are quite high. Using breathing, using natural techniques to control your anxiety is is also going to be really useful. Yeah, um, I think where you know a lot of people think, oh well, it's kind of like having an epidural. It's not. It doesn't take the way the pain of contractions away, but it is a technique that really really helps with labour. But it doesn't help everyone. Yeah, and you know there are some people that do a little bit of hypnosis and find it super useful in labour. There are some women that really focus on it. And then in the end, for whatever reason, they use it for a certain amount of time and then they do need an epidural. But, you know, you don't need to choose. It's not like when you write your birth plan, whatever's not on the birth plan is not going to be offered to you. If you say, I want to use hypnosis, I want to use the water, I want to have a natural birth, and then you decide, you know, six hours into your labour that that's not for you... There's anaesthetists at every hospital that can give you the pain relief that is appropriate to do. But there's no way of you being able to anticipate that. It's a bit like if I said to you, are you going to need to take some paracetamol at four o'clock on Tuesday afternoon? (laughs) You're like, well, I don't know. If if I have a headache, then yes. But if I don't. And I think, you know, pregnant women are asked to sort of make that decision. Are you going to need medicalized pain relief in your labor? Well, how on earth are you meant to answer that question? Yeah. And I think the purpose of a birth plan is really to think about your options, think about do you want to try hypnosis, do you want to try water, um, but also to regard it as a preference rather than a plan. I think the plan is sort of the wrong word. And in an ideal world, this is what I want, but let's see how it goes. And ultimately, I want the safe delivery of my baby. Yeah. And that's kind of the most important yeah. thing. 
You can't pass or fail your labour. No, exactly. And that's what we keep saying, like, all we're interested in is, like, we keep saying 10 fingers, 10 toes. Like, yeah. that's obviously the focus of everything. But it's it's interesting to start kind of exploring what you need to do. And other people say, like, you've definitely got to get breastfeeding specialists and all of that. And I think that's when it starts to feel scary because mm. it starts to feel like there's this whole world out there that you've got to explore and you've got to know everything. And how on earth can you learn everything in the next six months? Yeah, well, you will learn, you know, you will... You will learn a lot but also you know if you think every mother got chucked in at the deep end and yeah. we almost overthink it you know our instinct is very powerful as parents when pediatricians are being cha- are trained they are told one of the biggest sort of red flags is is a mother's instinct and if a mother comes in with a, a baby and she says you know what i can't put my finger on it don't know what's wrong but something is that raises alarm bells mm-hmm. because our instinct is so strong and all mothers are first time mothers once and you all come home with this precious baby and you think well I'm not trained yeah, what yeah. now I suddenly yeah. have left hospital with the most precious thing in the world and realise it comes with no operating instructions but you will make the right decisions even though you're plagued by doubt even though every time you do something you doubt whether or not it's enough or too much or too hot or too cold what you're doing will do the yeah. right thing were you we'll terrified the, right the first time I was. I, I, I was quite scared. But I think you just have to just go with it. A bit like when you've got a new puppy. I'm sure yeah. when Austin arrived. Yeah, no, when we first got Austin, we were like, oh my God, this is absolutely insane. But then you adjust and you learn and you keep going and he's he's turned out great. So At least the baby poos and nappies. Austin yeah. just pooed. <laughs> All over the house. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but yeah. you haven't heard of the Poonami yet. Oh, no. Yeah, what's, so the, what's the Poonami? The explosive poo that comes out of the nappy. Babies are notorious oh for doing really explosive poos. Okay. Oh. And um, very often the nappy does not catch what comes out. So it's uh, affectionately called the Poonami. Okay. And, uh, <laughs> but, you know, you will also become very kind of au fait with yeah. uh, bodily fluids. Yeah. If it's your babies, it's fine. Yeah. And nature is a great way of easing you into it. You know, baby poo, baby vomit doesn't smell like grown up vomit. Yeah, yeah. And to be honest, it will by smell the time, better than Austin's for sure. It will. And and to be honest, by the time your baby, you know, is is eating spaghetti bolognese and those poos are revolting, um, you'll you'll do anything for that child. Yeah. It yeah. doesn't matter what happens, yeah, how yeah. large the punami is, <laughs> yeah. you you'll do anything for yeah. them. So when I announced I was pregnant, lots of lovely people messaged and said they were pregnant as well. And quite a lot of people said this, and I found the same thing, that they felt quite lonely. And it's crazy because you're going through this kind of really intense, surreal experience, but you if less kind of your close friends or family or something are going through it at a similar time, you can feel quite on your own on it. And imagine, especially first time, I definitely felt quite lonely in those first few weeks and quite kind of overwhelmed and couldn't quite figure out what was going on and there's so much changing and you kind of feel a bit nervous about this and as you said that kind of sense am I good enough to do this am I ready and I wondered whether or not that was something you you find a lot in in um, the kind of women that you work with and also whether there was anything in particular you found that's kind of really supported that yeah, no, I think you're not alone. Um, I remember I was the first of my sisters, the first of my friends to have a baby. And I remember definitely the first two trimesters of my pregnancy, it tended to be more about the things I couldn't do. And then it was a sort of 
negativity, which is, I think, looking back, a real shame. It was really when I started doing antenatal classes and I was surrounded by a group of women who were in the same position as me that I started really embracing it and started really to look forward to it and realise I've always been quite a social person. I've always liked having friends and people to talk to. And that, for me, was a real turning point. And again, one of the reasons that I really wanted to start the bump class um, because you make an amazing group of friends and I'm still in touch with some of them nowadays. And I see that... I see that bond grow on the bump class. I see them yeah. come in as sort of 12 girls who sort of come into a room and they sort of look around going, oh, these people are meant to be my best friends. I'm not so sure. <laughs> and they leave after eight classes and they're definitely good mates. Like they, they enjoy chatting to each other. But the real difference comes after the first year of their baby's lives when they've had a year of this extraordinary time together and being able to have a group of women who are going through the same thing at the same time as you, whose babies are experiencing the same challenges and you know, even if you've got a friend whose baby's four months older or six months younger, they, what they're experiencing in that first year is going to be totally, totally different to you. So I think having having a group of women and being able to, you know, nowadays you can communicate on WhatsApp, you can chat at three o'clock in the morning when you feel yeah. like you're the only person in London awake. Um, and, and a lot of the loneliness is sort of around that. So I think that's that's really common. But I also think... It's interesting. When I meet the women that come and do the bump class, everyone's got a slightly different outlook. And I always say this to them and I say... You know, some of you will be sitting here thinking, I'm so glad I have wanted this for so long and it has been such a struggle to get here and now I feel like my world is perfect. But there'll be others thinking, well, I was really excited, but actually now I'm a bit nervous because I've heard all these horrible stories about mm. birth and tearing and, and you know, bleeding and all of this kind of stuff that's freaked me out a little mm. bit and I'm not sure whether I, well, I should have gone down this route. And there will be some women in that room thinking maybe I should have just stuck with dogs <laughs> and I kind of wish I wasn't pregnant and you're sort of resenting it and actually I think going to a good antenatal class to give you evidence-based information to empower you to make the right decisions for you because there isn't a one-size-fits-all yeah. it's not like I can say everyone should have this kind of birth different decisions and different options are right for different people because yeah. I think you should enjoy it. it's the day your baby's born it's the day that you will celebrate forever yeah, yeah. So, I mean, to um, to end each episode, we always ask our guests what a daily routine, a ritual, a saying, a motto, or something that that you live by. What's what's yours? Well, a little routine that I've started doing, and I know this sounds so cheesy, is just remembering how grateful I am for what I've got. And I do this with my kids. I have a little, I have a little notebook that sits by my bed. And every night before I go to sleep, I will just write a couple of things that made me happy. And that might be the delicious soup I cooked for lunch mm -hmm. or it might be something that my children said or it might be that I went to Zara and bought myself a new dress but something that I felt grateful for and in the morning when I wake up in that kind of you know those sort of fuddled moments when you just don't want to get out of bed mm. I think of three things I'm looking forward to in the morning and I think nice. that is so important you know we're understanding so much more about our yeah. mind and you know mental health problems are an increasing problem especially amongst the younger generation and I think that positivity is really important and I do that with the kids and mm. it's such a nice way to reflect and cement those positive memories of the day and to start that day off with a sort of positive frame of mind I think that's a really lovely yeah, it brings ritual. you back to solid ground yeah I love that so tables are turned, Matt. <laughs> what are you most looking forward to? Gosh, I so I came from and come from an incredibly close family, um, and the 
times that have been happiest, honestly, have just been Sunday afternoons or Saturday mornings lying in bed when I was a kid with mum and dad and um, I and, and my sister Jess. And I'm just looking forward to, it sounds so kind of silly and cheesy, but it's just the kind of the mundaneness of just being a family. I can't wait just to have our little one lying around in bed with us or um, seeing them do their first thing and... Um, I, it's just, it's just going to be just being us at home as a family is what I'm looking forward to most. I mean, I, I know that those, those have been the happiest moments in my life. And I hope that with, with our family, we can replicate just that complete sense of happiness and solidarity and warmth and peace at home, um, that, that I've been so fortunate to have. That unconditional love. Absolutely. So Marina, thank you so, so much for coming today. Honestly, it's been amazing. And I think, yeah, it's just made us even more excited about it. And also good to know it's just important to be open-minded, learn as much as we can, but also not get kind of too set in our ways and go to antenatal classes and make make pregnant friends. Um, I feel like that's going to be top of my to-do list. Thank you all so much for listening. As always, if you've enjoyed it, please do rate it, review it, share it with friends. It makes all the difference. We'll be back again next week. Next Tuesday, we're actually talking all things skin health, health, hormones, um, acne, you name it, popping your spots. I'm pretty excited about this episode. And otherwise, again, massive thank you, Marina. And you can find everything about Marina around The Bump Class. The book's called The Bump Class. The classes are called The Bump Class. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.